0: Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank, we are back from our journey in South Africa uh, Coming to you back in Manchester, back in Australia to to chat about the Stormers 31-24 point win over Sale on Saturday evening in Cape Town Obviously we couldn't be there in person, how good would that have been? Hopefully the Sale fans who, who went out there had a great time my name is Lewis, feeling a little bit disappointed, didn't get a chance to go to South Africa, but it, yeah, I just have to control myself with Sydney and Alex coming to your life from Manchester. How you going, mate? Yeah,
1: very good, thanks, mate. I spent my Saturday afternoon at Haywood Road, so where else would you rather be, I suppose? Um, but yeah, all good. I think I was pleasantly surprised with the both the performance and the result. To get anything out of that game is pretty impressive when you mm. think about the teams who have gone there this season and lost um not least next week's opponents so that was that was very encouraging felt quite proud of the performance just genuinely um thought going into it this week we could be 40 points down here um having just watched Sale let get absolutely pumped at home i was thinking this is not going to be a good day of sport for me um but yeah i was remarkably happy with that and i think showed some green shoots of, of recovery in a few areas and a lot of fight to come away from a really tough place to go um, with with something to our name, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I, I caught a little snippet from Axe's uh, media availability earlier in the week where there was something about 20 to 25 members of the playing squad had come down with food poisoning. Is that right or we made that up?
1: Yeah, I saw something, I can't remember, it might be in the book of the paper or somewhere else, that I think we took 26 to um, yes. South Africa and 20 of them had to come down with food poisoning at one point or another. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, against the odds. It's it's what we need to do. Clearly we need to have a massive bout of
0: illness go through the squad every week and then we're the underdogs again, aren't we? Well, it's like that that run we had. I think it was in Axis' first season where... We had a string of games where we couldn't keep 15 men on the pitch. And I think it culminated in, we were away at Wasps and we were down to 13 men for like 30 out of the 80 minutes and we still managed to win. I mean, that, yeah, that was the very first season with, with Axe in charge because he had that like the second half of the season. I think it was 2020, 2021 season. But yeah, it just it seems to bring something out of us. And I guess, I guess maybe that's where we start with the Stormers game because you kind of see the team come out um and I guess to your point, Alex, you're you kind of thinking this this might be a bit of a drubbing or going having to go all the way down to South Africa and taking, you know, probably a probably a 1B squad.
1: Yeah, and I think through necessity really as well, you know, we are we are not picking people or resting people out of choice a lot of the time. It's you know, who can we get on the field? It's Sam Bedloe, okay, you've been injured, you're straight back in because you are the only senior member of the squad at the inside centre left, that kind of thing. Um, you know, if you look at those injuries as you go through the kind of the entire back line, kind of who got a proper rest this weekend? Maybe Tom Roebuck, massively deserved as well. Um, maybe Joe Carpenter, again, deserved and, and needed. Um, other than that, you know, Rafi Quirk's injured, George Ford's injured, Manitou Alangi's injured, I could go on and on and on. But then you, Dan Dupreea, um it's it's a really, really long list, so it's um it is through necessity. And I think what's encouraging is that if you look at that kind of the way we rotated people in, we've talked about this before, you're still giving those people coming in so the likes of Alex Wills on the wing, for example, you're giving them the opportunity to kind of thrive in that environment because they've got an established kind of base around them you've still got Gus Wall and Rob Dupree running the game so I do think it is a really positive experience for them as players those kind of you know look at Tummy playing basically 80 minutes you know it's it's a really positive experience and we will be so much better for the amount of exposure the kind of wider squad is getting this season it just might mean that this season is kind of not like last season, in that we're going to be top of the table all the way through and guaranteed a home semi-final from a few weeks out, and and going to Twickenham. Um, but it might mean that in two or three years' time, we've got a really experienced, established squad of academy products, kind of you know
0: that we can then complement with talent where needed. Well, it's interesting as well because you think about. I remember having a conversation with you maybe two years ago now where we were talking maybe two years, maybe a year, where we were talking about a bit of a dearth of academy prospects coming through the squad. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but um, you know we, we kind of talked about how maybe sort of 2016 to 2018, you had a bit of a, not golden generation, but a really steady pipeline of players coming through. And we got to the point where actually we were starting to to turn players away who maybe weren't good enough. You saw it with Kieran Wilkinson, you know, season before last, you know, he's a, a player who's... Been around the squad five six years, never really had a crack, and and, and has also been, been been moved on. Matt Rogerson, you know another, another example. Uh, George Knott, another example. We kind of got to a really good position where we were bringing this academy talent through, and and to you know, no disrespect to those guys, they weren't quite good enough, so they, they moved on. Um, but then we actually had a bit of a weird period last couple of years where we weren't actually seeing many players coming through. You know, we we had a very settled team. We had a team that was good enough to be pushing playoffs. But we had a bit of a lull in terms of the amount of academy talent coming through. And we've almost kind of gone gone back the other way. Um, where we, you know, through necessity and through injury, and actually through Worcester disappearing, Irish disappearing, Worcester disappearing, there's now not just a crop of academy players coming through, but we've actually been supplementing that with a number of other teams' academy players as well. Alex Will's obviously signed from Worcester. Um, Asher was signed from... Um, uh, Wasps, uh, uh, Ricketti, Massey White from Wasps as well. And it's really interesting that we've kind of almost come full circle again. And we're at the point where uh, maybe this is a down year. Maybe we don't get as far as we'd like. But in two or three years' time, you could see Ricketti, Massey White starting at 13 if, if Mason Grady doesn't sign for us. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, Alex Wills, you know, starting on the wing. Asher and James Harper, uh, you know, uh, dovetailing at, at uh, Tighthead. It's, a, it's really interesting. And Means we can't help but go back to that game in Toulon in 2016, where we send the kids and Sam James is playing. it kind of had a bit, a bit of that feel to it, didn't it? That that uh, I guess kind of sort of semi legendary game in in sale sale annals now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For very different reasons, unfortunately, I think their scoreline was much more respectable this time. And um, yeah, it's it's a really tough experience to go through as well, you know, I was saying I don't think Salem ever played in South Africa unless I'm, um, you know, there was a friendly once upon a time back in the day or whatever, but you know, in the professional era, I can't remember us playing in South Africa, and that's a really different experience for a lot of players you know, obviously we've had, I think it benefited us that we've had the under-20s go over the summer for the um, under-20 World Cup um I think it was. So the likes of Nice Thomas, for example, have kind of seen it and, and and you know, experienced it. A lot of players will obviously have been played rugby in South Africa at some point in their careers, you know, tours and that kind of thing, always going to South Africa. So it's not completely new, but I think to go into that kind of professional environment, to go into a stadium of like twenty thousand plus people, a massive arena for a club game, um you know, that's quite challenging. And I think we dealt with it very well. And as you say, again, it's kind of a real positive that I think you'll see the benefits come through later on. And and you're right to put it along the same lines as that too long game. I think the club is in a much better place now than it was in that too long game. Because that, you know, back then, A, we were kind of writing off the competition when we sent that team down to too long, which I don't think we were doing here. And B, you felt like it. it we were never, ever going to win. Whereas I think this Stormers game, at least there was a bit of, you know, even looking at the team, you felt like we might have a chance if you were the most optimistic cell fan in the world, which some of us are. Um, and, you know, you fully expect that it's not going to be a, It comes to a win, it's not even probably going to be a win. But there was kind of a little chance. And I think that's ultimately where it ended up, isn't it? You know, if you look at what happened in the game and, and yeah, it feels like we were well beaten, but also we got the losing bonus point. And actually, if Robert Dupriot hadn't had a cross-field kick charged down, if we hadn't missed some pretty easy tackles on their number eight, basically worked out pretty quickly that he couldn't pass and therefore don't buy any dummies and let him run through you, um, then maybe it's a different story. I think we pressured the Stormers in quite an impressive way to not not performing at their best and making some mistakes. And, and they didn't really seem to deal with it that well. And I think we just completely got under their skin. We looked so annoying. Um, real classic sort of northern rugby. Great game for like the Gus Wars and the Ben Curries who were just you know, annoying the opposition constantly. Um, so we played the game quite well in that respect, and as I say, it just feels like a slightly different kind of experience level to that two long game where you've got yeah you've got some really green players, but you've also got some. Players who will be important for the next few years, but have had a bit of experience, and as a result, I, d- I think it's it's one of those games that again could go down. I mean, everyone who's gone to Cape time, I'm sure, will remember it. I think we've we've done our fans proud, and hopefully that then you know takes us into La Rochelle at home with a good momentum. But also, as you say, you know, if you're Alex Wills, what an, what a way to. A, pretty sure that's his first start in a well maybe starting the Premier Rugby Cup but I don't think I remember it but certainly his first start in kind of meaningful action this season so what place to do it really you know it's um it's gonna be one to remember and and as you say I think they're kind of the story aren't they the academy kids who are gonna gonna be the next big thing they're the best thing about this game for me
0: yeah absolutely um you're right. It was it, it was a bit of a weird game, wasn't it? It really felt like a bit of a shot to to nothing. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the Champions Cup and kind of that that feeling uh, a little bit later on in the pod. But um, I mean, I guess I guess you're right. You know, you, you can't help but feel pride, you know, for the way in which we we battled down there. Um, but it did feel like a bit of a foregone conclusion. And I guess when you compare the teams, you've got yeah, arguably, the Springbok starting, uh, fly half, you know, playing for, um, uh, you know, playing for the Stormers. You've got Damian Willems there, who's obviously playing, uh, the, the starting fullback. You sort of saw in that second half the, the, the scrum dominance up front really started to tell. You know, they were able to bring on, you know, Joseph Webber, who's again got, you know, a dozen Springbok caps. Um, you know you kind of go up and down the list you kind of thought again a bit like we've seen over the last couple of weeks we're going to get to we're going to get to a point where you know we're going to battle but there's going to be uh you know a moment in time where we we just can't kind of uh keep up and i think that we in the reality thirty one twenty four is probably a fair result um you know he's favors the stormers a little bit by the fact that like you said we we had a we had a kick from inside our own half charge down. It's a bit of a nothing play from Rob Dupree. You really would like to see him keep the ball in hands there, particularly given he's under pressure. But, you know, again, the ball sits up nicely and they did get a slightly 4 2 this try. But on the flip side, you know, that, that Sam Bedlow try right at the end, that might be one of the weirdest tries I think I've ever seen.
1: Oh, amazing, wasn't it? Uh, unbelievable. I mean, they've been trying stuff like that all game and I think it's kind of... This is the one thing where I think... We deserved a bit because they didn't really give us a massive amount of respect in terms of the way they played, and you know there was a lot of throwing offloads when maybe it wasn't on, and and you know it was almost we're going to win this game, so let's entertain. And that was another example of it. You know, the, ultimately there's no way you should throw that offload. Just kind of keep the ball and play it safe. There's no way Saracens, for example, would throw that offload, but you know, when you haven't earned that respect for whatever reason or you're not being shown that respect and then it goes your way, it's pretty satisfying and I think yeah, just a very, very silly thing to do really, wasn't it? And I, I suppose you'd say, I think both teams had fortuitous moments I think, you know, ultimately, it's an interesting point because, you know, you say that this scoreline kind of ended up being about fair, which I agree with, but I mean, Sale got absolutely battered in pretty much all areas. You know, we had no territory. We didn't have much possession. We were, Basically, I think we were, we were really strong at the breakdown and wore a couple of turnover penalties there, really challenged
0: them in that, that way. That moment where Ben Curry, oh, there's a, there's a, there's a, a turnover one at the breakdown midway to the second half and you see Ben Curry's reaction. That's the sort of thing that you can look at as a Sale fan you know, feel really, you know, feel, you know, real pride about, you know, we can talk in a little bit about the merits of having to go all the way down to South Africa and play these games. But you, you can see through reactions like that with how visceral they are, just how much this means to, 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 you know, to the players and particularly in a game where, like you said, we're getting, you know, pummeled a little bit. Just little moments like that, again, kind of reaffirmed that actually, you know, the boys were were really up for it.
1: Yeah, and I think we're thriving under the challenge in this competition. I mean, if you look at our best performances this season, they've all come in this competition, really. Stade Francais, easily the only game where we've looked fluent in attack. Leinster backs to the wall, up at half-time, you know, with with the kids, written off by every Irish journalist in the world and half the fans and, and you know, properly shocked them. Um, and then this game, again, written off by most people and, and kind of, I think... We're not thriving in the same way in the Premiership because we are favourites for most games. Um, and that is a real struggle for us, it seems like. Whereas in this competition, it, the the kind of change in narrative is unbelievable, really. When you look at... Before Premiership games, everyone will go, oh, last year's finalists sell sharks. And before these games, everyone goes, well, we've got two of last year's finalists in our pool and we're playing them both. And then we've got the Stormers who are like been on one of the form teams in the URC in the last few years. And Stade Francais, who just you know can always pull a performance out, albeit not this season, apparently. So, you know, we've been dealt one of the worst possible hands and kind of, it seems to have really made us thrive. And I think it's an interesting kind of dynamic as to how much of that is just the competition. You know, if, if we're, I suppose, if you look at this competition, we've won one, lost two, haven't we? So it's not really that great. But we've managed to get a losing bonus point, which basically keeps us in with a shout of qualifying. So, yeah, it's it's a really weird sort of scenario where you go from one week in the Premiership, home to Bristol, where everyone's saying, yeah, you should win that. Bristol would be rubbish, and we lose without anything. So then the next week away at the Stormers, and everyone goes, Oh, so we'll struggle there. That'll be, they'll do well to come away with anything. And that seems to be motivating the players more than anything else, which is, is quite encouraging, really. And, you know, hopefully we can go and take that momentum into the home game against La Rochelle and then into the, the home game against Gloucester cause it's quite an important block. But, yeah, I do think you saw that through our performance. It was kind of that pride and that that desire to prove people wrong really resonated because we just kept ourselves in the fight didn't we all the way through even when stuff was going against us
0: yeah and, and look rugby can be a pretty um pretty cruel game you, you know for for all that endeavor for more for all that pride for all that you know ambition yeah you know, we still got beat like i said the the scoreline was fair but i think the storms were clearly you know the best team on the day um Played in Cape Town Stadium, really cool. You know, decent, decent atmosphere there as well. I, again, you, you know, we we spoke on last week's part about you know our thoughts and feelings about the South African teams in the competition. Looked a really cool place to go. Um, again, the 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 um opportunity, you know, and the uh, the occasion didn't seem to phase a lot of the players. Again, you mentioned you know, uh, Tumi Anasanya, Shout, shout him out! Seventy-two minutes played. You know he has to replace Ross after eight minutes. Um, you know, and again, you know by the end of the game, of of course he's getting pushed back into the scrum. But you know, for a nineteen-year-old, you know, incredible performance really when you think about the context. I thought Alex Wills went well. There's a nice, there's a nice um, take uh, from from a high ball in particular um that really stands that that really stood out you know nice nice to see him get up in the air not necessarily the biggest winger but it's again if you can if you can do that against uh, a team like the stormers in south africa it bodes very well thought he seems to match okay with the physicality as well again a very tough place to go in the in the southern hemisphere summer against these massive south african teams it can be difficult to get your legs under you particularly again as a 19 year old so you know, some some real green shoots there and I think everyone who came, who, who did play, you know, play, played reasonably well. But I guess Alex is, you know, before we talk about the competition writ large, is there anyone in particular you think needs, needs shouting out? I think you're absolutely right, shout Alex Wills. thought it was a really impressive performance
1: on debut. Really like the look of him at this level. I mean, we've seen him do it at under-20s and, you know, absolutely tear it up. But it's great to see him do it at this level. So that was really encouraging. Um I think... Getting Sam Bedlow back is a massive boon to our kind of strength. I think, as he was doing for the whole start of the season before he got injured, quietly having really good games and quietly being one of our most influential players. Um, so, I think you saw as well that that kind of partnership with Rob Caprius settled that settled down kind of issues we've had at at in the attack. More than anything, you know, you look at like the Johnny Hill try. It's a really well worked bit of attack. Really does well to find the space, but it comes from kind of the threat of Bedlow being able to go into that ten role and then Rob Depria also being able to play that role. Kind of two of those, there's two distributors with Sam James as well as an option uh, who also I thought had a good game. I thought Johnny Hill had a really strong performance as well. Probably one of his best games. Um, and Augustine Crevy just scores for fun, doesn't he? It's unbelievable the form he brings to scoring. I think we were talking while watching the game about the kind of hooker options we have. We'd obviously watch Curtis Langdon tear it up for Northampton the uh, Friday night. And while you've lost Curtis and you've lost Ewan you Ashman, you've lost Acker, I find it unbelievable that we've managed to come through with now Augustine crevy who feels like one of the most kind of influential hookers we've ever had, just in terms of the ability to score his experience, his now Um, Luke Cowindicke, who's bringing all the quality that we thought he would, you know, we're kind of dovetailing those two and then you've got Tommy Taylor. I mean, says speaks to where the squad is that Tommy Taylor's on as a back row replacement, you know, it's that's another point that no one seems to want to factor in, um, but having that strength and depth is is massive. So I thought I thought Krebby was excellent as he always is, and yeah, agreed. You're right. Shout out Tommy, because it's important. And I thought I think Ben Curry as well. Just we always do this. We're going to pick out like our our best players, and we'll never pick Ben Curry because he just sets such high standards week in week out that. It's almost—I don't know—it's easy to go for him to go unnoticed, and we probably shouldn't let it because such a high level of performance. He's in the side as well, you know. It's just—it's just a real kind of impressive to go week in, week out at that level, and to annoy people as, as much as he does. That like opposition fans hate him. I saw. I think it's was Hal and the comedian, who is a massive Saris fan, who was saying, about, I hate Ben Curry and I'd love him if he was on my team. And I don't think he's hateable in that way, but, you know, that's Saris fans for you. But it is just so good when he's on your side. He's just so frustrating to watch because he, you know, be everywhere and try and do everything. So, yeah, massive shout out to Ben Curry. And I thought Talisa Biano had a very good game, actually, at fullback. Um, is the increase in his performance from that Leinster game, which was his first game for us, to now over the space of what four weeks? I think he's massively kind of accelerated back towards his peak. The step looks like it's back and really dangerous. I mean, the Sam Bedloe try, obviously, you know, sort Skins of comes the from on the outside, yeah. yeah. So I think that's really encouraging as well to have that bit of competition at fullback, Joe Carpenter. So, yeah, a, a lot of really positive performances for me. And, and I think just a lot of heart and and grit and determination, which I'd say Ben Curry is the kind of um, incarnation of most. But it was kind of throughout the team, wasn't it?
0: Yes. And it's left us in a bit of a weird position now. So, like you mentioned earlier, Sale have, have played three games in this year's Champions Cup. They've won one. They've lost two. They are fifth in their pool, but they still have a chance to qualify. And we wanted to, we were talking off air, we thought this would be a really good opportunity to maybe talk a little bit more about the competition, particularly since I think this weekend's action has kind of maybe exposed some of the faults in terms of, Team strength in player selection. And I guess to kind of kick this off, obviously, Alex, the, the context here is next week we welcome La Rochelle, current European champions, to the, uh, well, to, to Salford, to the age, well, the former, formerly known as AJ Bell Stadium. Um, it basically serves, in your words, as a bit of a playoff. You know, La Rochelle sit fourth, we sit fifth. If we beat La Rochelle, we qualify for the last 16 of the competition. Obviously, if La Rochelle win, they go through. It's set up really nicely, um, but then it does raise a little bit of a question about why is there a de facto playoff between the fourth and fifth teams in a pool to get through to knockout rounds? It all seems a bit strange, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, does and it? it comes back to the whole question around this competition, and the format, which continues to change every year. And you know, one year it's pools of. Fifty teams, and you know that year we got through because we had one losing bonus point from a game at home against like Edinburgh or something. To so now, ultimately, you've got eight English teams getting into this competition this season. I think it is, or yeah. ridiculous. Out and, of a ten-team league, out of a ten-team league, and then you've got kind of four out of every six in the pool qualify because you're only playing four games and you're going into a round of 16. It just feels very, very confused. And like a round of 16 is no bad thing. There's a round of 16 in the Champions League. So, you know, if you want to do that, then I can understand. But it just feels like, as you say, ultimately, and people have criticised us for our team selection, And you can understand it when we can afford to, you know, I know we didn't, I I think we got unfairly criticised because we weren't playing George Ford is basically because no one knows our players. But I don't think it was, I think the underlying message was kind of, well, Sale can afford to put out an understrength team, win their two home games, hope they get something else and still get through, which is exactly what's happened. And that, Massively devalues the competition when, for example, Stad. You know, I saw something about the coach saying we'll be happy with a point away at Leinster. You know, that's all we really want—a point in some form or another. Either score four tries or get a losing bonus point, and and that's you know completely understandable. I think it's it's you know it's so tough to go to Leinster, but especially when you're only playing them away. And, and I think that's where it comes down, the issue comes down to for me. We've sacrificed kind of the traditional four-team pool, three home, three away games to get this round of 16 in. But it just means that you spend the first four weeks of the competition thinking, well, it doesn't really matter as long as we kind of get through. It's all—it's a bit like England in the... Because of the Rugby World Cup draw and how that fell, England didn't have to do that much to get through. And, knew, and you kind of knew that, okay, well, beat Argentina first game and you pretty much through, And then go on and, you know, rotate and make these decisions. You know, you can play Marcus Smith at fullback and whatever, knowing that when you come to your quarterfinal and your semifinal, you can go full guns. So it's sort of done that. And I, I, I don't know, I'd feel like the old format was really good because you got teams home and away and it created a little bit of rivalry and a little bit of intrigue. And it meant that, you know, Leinster, ultimately, depending on how the draw falls, I know this time they've had to go away to La Rochelle, but rather I in South France at home and not had to go, you know, everyone loves playing at home. And everyone loves seeing big teams at home. You know, I think some of the best days I've had watching Salem in European games, I, I go back to that Munster game at the AJ Bell when they won it with a last-minute drop goal, like obviously the result wasn't great, but the occasion was amazing, and, and you're kind of being denied that, because you just get two random games, and who have we had? Stade and La Rochelle at home. That's great, but you know, Stade Francais ended up putting out a relatively weakened team. We saw them off quite handedly. It wasn't that exciting. And then La Rochelle, we played at home. We played La Rochelle loads over the last few years, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's exciting, but you don't get like, you know, oh, you get a, an Irish team and you coming over to to Salford, you get whatever. It's it just doesn't... It feels really confused to me. I don't know what you think, Lewis, but I just think it's... I, I, I genuinely don't see why we can't go back to the old
0: format, but I'm sure there's a mm. very good reason somewhere. I, I, there's one thing that's really stuck with me recently and I can't remember for the life of me where I saw it, but um, someone described South the South African team's participation uh, in this competition as rugby having painted itself into a corner and that's really stuck with me because I think it's absolutely right. You've got 24 teams in this competition you've got 16 of them going through because you want a, an elimination round Um. But the format and the pools and everything about this, the travel, the who you're playing, is so uh, lopsided one way or the other that it really feels like this is a mess of, of rugby's are making. I look at pool one in this year's competition, um, because I think your point here, Alex, about the fact that they only play four games and it's a bit of a potluck who you get at home and away is really pertinent particularly when you start thinking about the fact we've just had to go to South Africa to play a game a 12 hour flight or whatever in pool one you've got Bordeaux who've won three out of three you've got Leon who've won two out of three um, with four with bo- and they've accumulated bonus points as well. you've then got the bulls who've won two out of three obviously playing playing in um, playing on the highveld very tough place to play. You then got Bristol who are in terrible form. you've got Saracens who are the current premiership champions, and you've got and in terrible form <laughs> yes, I'm in terrible form, and then you've got Connett, who are you know by and large the, the, the probably weakest of the four Irish provinces um so if you're i don't know let's say you're uh, Leon, imagine how how good you're feeling when you see the draw and you've got the bulls at home because they don't want to travel. You've got Bristol at home who are in terrible form and then you play Connett away. You've basically got yourself three wins. Whereas if you're, I don't know, let's say Saracens, you've got to go away to the Bulls, which is a, a, a very difficult trip. You've got to go away to Bordeaux, maybe away to Lyon. Like, and, and those aren't the actual fixtures. That's just an example. But it just shows you how random the results from the pool stage feel because it becomes less about who you're playing or what, what, how good your team is and more about the quirks of the schedule. There's there's not going to be a lot of teams who are going to win away in South Africa this year. But then if there's also not going to be many instances of the South African teams winning in Europe because of the travel and the demands that come of it. And it just feels so... It, this all just feels so random. And I think that really, that really spoke to me when I started thinking about the Stormers game. Because actually, if we play the Stormers at home and we play the Stade Francais away we might have we we'd have two wins rather than three uh, sorry we'd have two wins rather than one and we'd probably be through already but because the two games are in a different um uh, different venues we've now got to play this you know de facto playoff to get through it just feels it just all feels so random and it, again i don't know if you agree but it does feel like this is just a mess of our of our own making and i guess we could talk about solutions next yeah i completely agree i think it's it's part well it's partly you know, kind of been
1: impacted by the financial impact of COVID and you know the general kind of issues in especially Welsh rugby, but you know have the, the URC having to bring in the South African teams. And I think that's been quite positive for the URC in the end, hasn't it? But yeah, as you say, you've you kind of it just feels like it's very confused you're right and it it doesn't make any sense to anyone when you talk to people about you talk to non-rugby people about it and you say oh yeah we're we're in a pool of six teams we play four games and we play two teams at home and two teams away and you know the first question is how on earth do you decide who you don't play how do you decide who you get at home and who you get away does that not seem stupid and yes it does it's it's completely nonsensical and this competition has been messed around with a lot and as, as i say part part of that is because of covid because there was initially a necessity to and then it's kind of allowed them to, to play about with it but it doesn't inspire confidence in you i mean you know saying that the champions league is changing its format isn't it if you if you look at an Comparable competition, and I'm referencing the Champions League a lot, but that's ultimately the kind of golden standard of, of club competition in the world, really, in any sport. Um, I mean, that's probably the biggest kind of selling point. You look at why football teams want a Super League; it's because the Champions League is so lucrative and 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 does so well. So, there is an element of kind of lessons to be learned from that.
0: But, but I guess. The thing with the Champions League is there's 32 teams who are, like, let's make no bones about it, they are of varying quality, but there's 32 teams out of 100 that, that compete. I don't like the Champions League I, I, in a similar way. I think it should be a lot smaller, but at least, it's the, at least those are the 32 best teams in the league. Uh, sorry, in, in Europe. I, I don't think we can say in good conscience that these are definitively the best 24 teams 24 Teams in Europe and South Africa at the moment, um, and we're in a situation where we, we, we're just having to pad the competition out with, you know, your Bristol's and your, you know, Gloucesters or whoever, because um, there's there's just no one else to to play the tournament.
1: Yeah, and and the strength of the Premiership in this um, negotiating position in this competition is a real issue as well because. England and France have massively dominated the, the make for this competition, didn't they? It became, basically became an England and France competition that invited the URC to play with them. And as you say, eight teams out of a ten-team league is just nonsense. So, I mean, it, it needs a rethink. It might get one because they are so prone to playing about with the format, but I'm not holding out hope that there's gonna be this great solution because I think ultimately rugby I mean rugby it look listen, rugby's been weakened massively in England especially and that has hurt this competition because you know the ULC is doing okay but English and Welsh rugby is in the absolute pits compared to where it was in the golden era of this competition. You know, you've not got the likes of, you know, Cardiff used to be a real force and and aren't really any more um someone like Wasps, massive amount of European pedigree, even a you know a Leicester who have actually done it right in this competition so far, but then go and get pumped at La Rochelle. It's, the English teams are never going to be able to compete in this competition for, at the moment. And, and what you've got is basically the English teams have got a lot of power in saying who gets into the competition in the first place. But as you'll see, and as we've seen over the last few years, have got no ability to win it because of the salary cap and because of the strong position French rugby is in, um and because of the way that South African and Irish rugby is run and, and they've got more access to internationals. So, you know, I I'm not um I'm not complaining about this. I think English rugby's problems are entirely of its own making, but it will always create this weird imbalance where One union has got a massive amount of power, but no hope of winning the competitions. They'll always want as many teams as possible in the pool stages, just to give them the best chance, won't they? Cynically.
0: Yeah, I mean, we are going to end up at a spot where the Champions League is, where there are five, six teams that can actually win the competition, and then 27 that are there to make up the numbers. I don't know what the solution is. My, I understand why they wouldn't do it, but my preference is, you know, bring some, you know, bring some um, star power back to it, and and have it as sixteen teams. You know, they're they're trying to comp- comp- talk themselves into you you know divisions of four or divisions of eight in order to make it work. Go to sixteen and just say, actually, how would it work now? Top four from England, so so playoffs, and, and make there some real jeopardy for getting into the competition as well, like we do see in football uh probably the top six from France and then the top six from the URC. That's probably about right. You, you know, you understand why it wouldn't happen, but having sixteen teams and having a genuine path to the quarterfinals, um and making the games actually mean something is is what this competition is meaning at the moment, you know, and until things change you're just gonna see more of what we saw on Friday night, which Bayon send the third team and get absolutely thumped by because they don't care about this competition.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, you look at the results this weekend, Sarri's getting absolutely handed, Leicester getting handed, Northampton battering by Bayonne It's just, I mean, the one thing that all of those games have got in common is that the home side won by an absolute landslide. So, again, it comes back to that point about home and away fixtures. It, it seems, seems odd. But, you know, unfortunately, we can talk as much about it as we want, but We've we've talked about the Premiership in this way before, and you know, as a Sale fan, you have to make the most of it because it has meant we've got a chance to get through to the knockout stages. When we, when you look at that pool, we probably shouldn't have. But then also, I suppose if you look, if you said, okay, you're going to play Stavon, say Larochelle, and the Stormers, or Staphonse, and the Stormers, or whatever, in a pool of four. I think we'd give ourselves a bit more hope because we think we can win three of those home games and maybe pick up something away. Um, so, you know, it's maybe it does get to the same end. But as you say, I think when you look at teams like Bristol who are having a shocker this season and have got in because they finished like 7th or 8th in the Prem last season, it's not great
0: for the competition, is it? Uh, no, it is not. So, a brief word on, on La Rochelle, who... Uh... <laughs> they look, look in ominous form. Um Well yeah, all... they were awful.
1: And now they're well, not awful, they lost two tough games, but we had no wins in this competition and then have taken out all the frustration on Leicester, so hopefully it's all the frustration is
0: taken out now, rather than pent up and ready for more. Uh I mean what yeah, how do you see how do you see uh the trip of La Rochelle to, to sail going because, you like you said, it's been a bit Jekyll and Hyde so far but, oh, good Lord, I'm looking at this 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 squad list from the team that beat Leicester 45-12 and it is, you you know, almost his territory. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? I, I think it'll be a really
1: good game actually. I think it genuinely will be competitive. I think we've always been competitive with La Rochelle whenever we've played them. We've, our game... Style of game kind of meshes quite well with theirs. Um, I think they seem to have. We've always got Kerbalo at nine still, who is a bit of thorn in our side. Ohio West was a massive thorn in our side when we played them the last few times, and kind of he's obviously not not there now. So um, or not playing anyway. So that's an interesting dynamic. I think they've got real, real quality, as we know, and they are going to be an incredibly tough proposition. But that said, travelling to Salford, never easy. You know, the whiff of sewage through your nostrils can always put off the best of World Rugby's players, as we've found. Um, Toulouse turned up and Gus War absolutely you know, bossed Antoine Dupont. So... Strange things have happened at the AJ Bell and stranger things have happened and say i in La Rochelle if it does happen. I, I feel weirdly... I think it's going to be a really good game. I think both teams want to win it, obviously. La Rochelle will bring over a strong team and that might be the difference just because there's the strength they can call on that ultimately we would never be able to call on because of a salary cap. But I think we've got enough in our team, and I think we've seen enough both in all the performances in this competition but also just in in the squad to be really really competitive I think there'll be, be if we can roll out Robert Pree and Sam Bedlow again, assuming Ford is still injured, Rob Pree Sam Bedlow, Gus Ward, Sam James pretty much go with basically the same back line, maybe bring Roebuck back in um, then I think that that looks pretty positive. If you look in the forwards, I think you know we're obviously a little bit, a little bit weakened in a few areas. But you've got the likes of Van rain to come back in, um, bring a lot of energy and and, and power. Johnny Hill has set in good form. We've seen we know how good our hooker sort of squad is. So I think there's there's a little bit of me that thinks we could do this. I know that. Rochelle were incredible, and they looked incredible against Leicester, but they looked average against Leinster and average against the Stormers. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way, because they were obviously very strong teams. But Rochelle should never have lost that game at home to Leinster, and and kind of did so through their own errors. So I think there's a there's a little a little crumb of hope here you know, so you're saying there's a chance, that kind of thing. I feel quietly positive. And if you're asking me for a prediction, I'd say they are going to win. I think they are going to win by 25 points to 23. It's going to be dramatic. But yeah, I might be losing my mind. So Lewis, talk me back down to earth. Because you, you're, you're looking on the paper and, you know, you need to think bigger, I think. You need to not look at Will Skelton's name and think, yeah, he's one of the best players in the world. You need to Look at Will Skelton and think Johnny Hill will get under his skin and boss him.
0: Um, <laughs> I'll. I'll this is trying to
1: process that. Yeah, for, for those of you, you
0: can't see, I will have whatever you're having, mate. Because <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're going to get absolutely pumped. Like I know it's, I know it's never, it's never that simple. And if La Rochelle don't send a stronger team that played last weekend, there's always a chance and. But, you know, the, the thing about French teams travelling away, I think it's been sort of disproved, but most teams don't really like playing away from home. I think we'll be up for it. It should be a decent crowd again. It'll be a good game, but it, it's it's that forward strength. It's, you know, having Uni Antonio and Wardy and uh, Bougerite as your starting front row. Then you've got Will Skelton behind them. Then you've got Lavani Bottier at seven. Then you've got Gregory, Gregory Aldry at eight. And it's it's just that kind of unrelenting forward power that I think is just gonna win the game. And but the, you know, it's it's like those old Toulon teams, um, you know, from pro- probably about seven, eight, nine years ago now, where it's you know, you go up and down the, the list and it's not just the fact that they've got these incredible forwards, it's the fact that, you know, Lara can roll out Jonathan Dante at twelve, you uh, you know, Teddy Tamara's gone. Um uh, and, and joined from Racing, he's been playing at fourteen. Uh, Dylan Leeds, who's always a, has a good game against us. Uh, you know, Tawara Ker- Kerbalo is still there. They've just got so many weapons, and even if they, they send a you know half strength team, it's going to be really difficult for Sale, you know, to compete. I think if Manitou fit, if Tom Curry's fit, if George Ford is fit, the game is a bit different. But the reality is. You, you, you know, Alex Wills might be playing again, you know. Uh you know, James Harper and Tommy Yanasanya might have to start next week, you know. Um Ben Bamba, who I, I know everyone's been quite impressed with, you know, he might have to have a rollout. And it's just you, you know, you've got kids who are nineteen, twenty, twenty one playing against some of literally the best players in the world. Like it's gonna be it's very hard to see Sale winning. Um, but with that all said say or buy too you never know you, you absolutely <laughs> never know um, that's that's Champions Cup talk uh, one final bit of business actually for this week we're bringing back the rumour mill it's been a it's been a while and this is my, for a long time this is my absolute favourite a little bit of nugget uh, a little bit of a nugget within, uh, within the Rugby passes Twitter feed this week and uh, Alex Anderson's media availability. Um, I sent this to you, Alex, last week to be like, have I just missed something? Uh, but Sale, so, apparently one of a few teams in talks with Wales centre, Mason Grady, about a potential move. Um, so Mason Grady, for those of you who don't know, 21 years old, uh, he's been capped six times by Wales. He predominantly plays either outside centre, but he has been playing a lot of uh, of left wing for Cardiff this year. A very highly touted prospect. Hasn't necessarily had a, had a, a massive run of games so far for Wales, um, but very much uh, in that group of very talented Welsh players who... Welsh rugby fans are quite rightly worried. Are, are, are going to be part of a bit of an exodus from from the Welsh regions this year. Um, I keep thinking about him and and uh, Joe Hawkins. You know, similar sort of uh, player. Obviously, both plays midfield. Hawkins, twenty one years old, similar amount of caps for for Wales. And obviously, he went to join Exeter this year. If you're looking for a comparable, not necessarily from a, from an on field perspective, but from an off field perspective, it'd be that sort of coup for 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 sale if Grady was to join. So what do you think, Alex? You know, this one kind of came a bit out of nowhere and then you know, the first we hear of it is like Sanderson uh in a, a with media saying, Yeah, we've we've had a, a nice long chat with him.
1: Yeah, it's, it's as you say, come out of nowhere, hasn't it? No kind of rumours and who that says bit about where rugby's rumour mill is up to at the moment because back in the day we used to be linked with everyone and it was quite exciting Mm. and seems to be a bit tighter now until Alex wants to say it um it's really exciting he's a massively exciting talent and I think offers just power and physicality and speed in spades um so it would be a great signing. I think it'd be a massive shame for Cardiff and massive shame for Welsh Rugby if he went to us that it, it says a lot about Welsh where Welsh Rugby is but if you were him and, you know, Cardiff this season, at the start of the season had like 12 players in pre-season because they had be able to sign early up to contracts. You know, Willis Halaholo basically signed up to a permanent contract like three months into the season or something ridiculous. It was just all over the place. So, Welsh Rugby Union being in absolute shambles is nothing new, but they are. Um, I mean, I complain about the RFU enough, but thank God that we're not under WRU rule because I think they're even more incompetent, which is pretty impressive. So, you could understand why he might want to make the move. I think It'd be a massive signing for us. It'd be a really interesting prospect. Obviously we've got Sam James at thirteen. If Grady's coming in as the thirteen, I think we're relatively well stocked at Winger. But, you know, never know who's moving on. Um, but obviously we read Roblox Oprah Will's coming through, Vianu, we've we've got quite a lot of a lot of players there. He would start in our team. He as you say is Welsh international but the, the quality he's got he'd definitely start it'd be interesting to see him at 13 I think that'd be a kind of 13 we haven't had for a long time I'd be going back to kind of Will Addison era 13 with yeah. so that pace on the outside so that'd be very exciting to watch I think it'd probably transform our attack a bit given what we we tend to play with three playmakers or at least definitely a playmaker at 10 and 13 doesn't feel like he's that to me it feels like he's a you know, you could roll out Rob Prior and Sam Bedlow at ten and twelve, or George Ford and Rob DeBrio at ten and twelve, and have Mason Grady outside them. So that prospect is very enticing. Um, you know, I think it, it's ultimately whether A he wants to kind of buy into everything the club are doing, and and I think he probably will, and then it comes down to whether the Welsh Rugby Union are gonna let him go. And that'll be interesting because they might not have a choice. Um and if they don't, then I think we, if we have the chance, I think we should be pushing really hard to sign him because I think he's a really exciting player and a really exciting prospect and something that we don't have in terms of that kind of, you know, that kind of style of play in the position he's in. Um, but you know, it's it's like I go back to the Stephen Kitcher attempted signing, and I always worry when important players to a country or important prospects get kind of tapped up. But as you say, I mean, Joe Hawkins has gone to Exeter. So, you know, we are, I know Mason Grady's in Cardiff, but we are not that far from Wales. We're quite far from South Wales. But if you look at Exeter, um, you know, you get a lot of kind of Welsh qualified players in, in playing down there in that region, especially from South Wales. Obviously you get them in kind of Bristol, Gloucester Bath as well. But, you know, we are, we're not horrendously far away. Um, So it will be interesting. And I think we, you know, Manchester is a lot more kind of, you know, attractive as a place to go than than we probably give it credit for, Um, especially for, you know, like Welsh players and, and even Scottish players. There's that kind of, it's not like going to London. It's not like going to play for Quinns. You know, we don't, it's not quite as, Exciting, I'm sure, but I think there's there's a lot to be said for for moving to sale as a club. I think it's it's a real chance to sell us. I'd love it if we signed him. I think it'd be so fun to watch. But I'll um, I'll hold my breath after being burnt by Stephen Kitshoff.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an interesting name to to crop up because he doesn't fill a need. You know, I was hoping. Realistically, if we were going to sign a player of this sort of caliber, and let's make no mistake about it, you know, this is a this is an international caliber player, someone who is got a very bright future ahead of him, and is only twenty one years old. Like, that's the other thing as well. Same with the Joe Hawkins time. That's why it's such a good one for Exeter because you're getting not only an international caliber player, but you're getting them at a very young age, which is very very exciting. Um, but he doesn't necessarily feel the need. And, you, you know, Sam James is 29, you know, and we're, we're seeing more and more. A lot of English players are applying their trade over the channel in, in France. Maybe that's something that appeals. Um, you do wonder who would maybe be on the outs, uh, you know, to, to probably facilitate Grady under the salary, salary cap. Um, Tom Flackety is a name that, that kind of springs to mind as well. You know, obviously not been playing that much this year. Maybe he's someone who, who you know, potentially moves on. Hell, he might go to France, and then maybe Grady takes his spot on the wing. It, it just doesn't necessarily like fill a fill the gap. It's not like Tualangi is going to Japan, so you need a twelve to replace him or or whatever. So when when that name came up, it was it, it certainly caught in caught to, caught the eye and caught a bit of interest. But yeah, I think to to your point, Alex, if if we could get that one done, I think that'd be an absolutely fantastic signing. And again, would kind of speak to where Sailor at like to your point about Manchester being an attractive destination, you want us to remain a bit of a glamour club, particularly if we we have a bit of a down year this year. You don't want the only players coming to us. You know, this might be a bit controversial, but you don't want the only players coming to us. Oh, it's because they're from Oldham and they've they've gone away and played the best years elsewhere, and then they want to come back and, and, and be back up north. You don't want it to just be, oh, well, it's a load of South Africans because, you know, we signed a load of them when they were, a cheap market efficiency six years ago, they've, they've just stayed and built their lives here. You, wanna, you want to evolve the club and you want to move it in a direction where it's an attractive place to play, regardless of if you're from the North or from South Africa. Um, and I think Grady would be a really interesting signing in that regard. Uh and in the same way Tua Langi was a couple of years ago, because again, it would just be a very, very attractive signing um, presumably, without without breaking the bank as well, given where the, the the Welsh unions are. So certainly one to keep an eye on, uh, particularly because it might spell the end of some their time itself for some other players. But um, obviously, nice to to get the Mill back up and firing. Um, that's the part for this week. Obviously, loads to chat about as per. Um, I'll leave you as always with uh, Alex's Northwest Roundup. I guess starting with your Saturday afternoon at Haywood Road. Yeah, it's not a good one this
1: week, everyone, so strap yourselves in or, you know, don't turn off, but I'll get through it quickly. Obviously, Sale lost, um, coldly lost away at Ealing uh, in the Championship, in that one, both Sale FC got absolutely pumped at home to Chinna, who were league leaders and look very, very good, and like they were probably gonna be going up to the Championship, um, unfortunately Sale FC looked like they might be going down to that two at this rate, so need a big second half of the season. Um, and Sedgley Park also lost away at Rams, who were top of the league the other week. So, very competitive. Thankfully, filed one away at Billingham, 38 uh, 25. So well done, lads, because that is basically the only uh, bit of good news so far. Lim lost at home to Rotherham, and Preston lost at home to Sheffield. And then Preston Grasshoppers, I think I mentioned this the other week, but just keep losing by like two points at home. It's an absolute nightmare. Um, and then. One bit of good news to end on. Sailor FC 1861 women won at home to Barnsley ladies at uh, 17 So continuing some very good form and still top of the league, I think. So not a great week. Uh, eight teams there played and only two of them won, filed in Sailor FC 1861. Um, so another big weekend next weekend. Uh, Sailor obviously got La Rochelle at home on Sunday. Um uh, so if you are going to that, then do enjoy. I think tickets are still half price compared to normal, albeit pretty sure there's only standing left. Uh, not that it's been on the socials, but I think someone was saying that the other week. Um Sailor Shots Women at Home to Leicester. I think that's also on Sunday. Um, Koldy at home, Sail FC are at home and Fylder at home. So Sail FC will be at home on the Saturday um, if you are free. And, yeah, get yourself down to either Sharks or Sharks Women on the Sunday because two pretty massive games. Um, and then we kind of go into then the Six Nations break for Sharks. So I'll be shouting out a few more fixtures, especially for Sail Sharks women, um, but also just general Northwest rugby of places you can go and watch some quality level club rugby because I think... Um, even though it's been a rubbish weekend in terms of results, it's important to remember that there's a massive amount of quality at, at kind of the lower levels in quotation marks uh, rugby. And you see that kind of week in, week out, that club rugby is in a really strong place and we just need the RFU to realise it and um, give some security and, and preferably some funding to kind of championship nat one, that two, because there's a really good product there that I think a lot of people will enjoy so yeah get down and support whoever you can this weekend um, but most of all if you aren't already get yourself down to the Salford Community Stadium as it's now called uh, on Sunday for an absolute huge game against La because that is going to be one to watch and as I've predicted is going to win and Lewis is going to be eating his words next week
0: well if that doesn't bring you back for another pod next week, well there's the opportunity to hear me uh, yeah, eat my eat my words. But uh, thank you to Alex for joining me, thank you to everyone for listening and uh, hopefully you know we'll be back next week to to hear me eat a bit of crow about sail beating Lara Shell.